You are listening to the November 2023 edition of The Postal Record, the magazine for the National Association of Letter Carriers. I'm NALC President Brian Renfro, and this is my president's message from the November 2023 Postal Record entitled, A Busy Time for Health Benefits. As you read this month's magazine, we're on the doorstep of another open season for health benefits. This period of time gives all NALC members the opportunity to select the health benefit plan that is best for them and their families. If you are not currently a member of the NALC health benefit plan, I guarantee nearly all of you that we offer a plan that is best for you and your family. As Director of Health Benefits Stephanie Stewart writes in this month's postal record, The NALC health benefit plan is built by letter carriers and run by letter carriers. Our plan exists to provide the best health benefits at the most affordable cost to NALC members. Under Stephanie's leadership, around 300 dedicated employees work at the plan to serve you, the members of NALC, on a daily basis. The level of customer service they provide is unmatched. Their work for our members is emblematic of the spirit of service and solidarity that makes our union and our health benefit plan strong. If you are not a member of our plan, I strongly encourage you to take a close look at it this open season. No other plan offers our level of coverage, vast provider network, and affordability. No other plan offers our level of coverage, vast provider network, and affordability. Add in the highest quality customer service and a central focus on serving NALC members, and you have the best option for health care available. If you're a retired member and are currently enrolled in Medicare Part B, we also offer a Medicare Advantage plan that may suit your needs and save you a significant amount of money through rebates to help offset the monthly cost of your Medicare premium. For information on all that the NALC Health Benefit Plan offers, please see the insert included in this month's magazine. And of course, you may always call customer service at the plan at 888 888- 636-NALC. That's 888-636-6252 to answer all of your questions. In addition to this open season, NALC headquarters as well as NALC Health Benefit Plan are hard at work with both the Postal Service and the Office of Personnel Management leadership on the implementation of the provisions of the Postal Service Reform Act of 2022 that was signed into law by President Biden last April. Let's start with the impact of the bill and the reason it was needed. Back in 2006, a bill called the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act became law and required the Postal Service to pre-fund future retiree health benefits, a requirement that costs the Postal Service $5 to $6 billion each year. No other public or private company was mandated to make such a payment. This requirement was responsible for nearly 90% of the Postal Service's financial losses over the last decade plus. The Postal Reform Act of 2022 repealed this pre-funding mandate and also integrates Medicare with postal retirees' health care at a much higher level, which results in a positive impact on health care premiums. The cost of premiums is shared by the Postal Service and the employee or retiree, so integrating Medicare at a higher level saves both the Postal Service and us money. Our members have many questions about the timing of when and how this integration will take place. The provisions of this bill will begin to be implemented in calendar year 2024. There is nothing required of anyone during the current open season. There will be detailed information and education materials readily available to our members in future editions of this magazine on the NALC website and more. 
If you're interested in learning more, please check out the NALC's official podcast, You Are the Current Resident. It's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. On a recent episode, Director of Health Benefits Stephanie Stewart joined the podcast where we discussed the benefits for 2024 and the impact of the Postal Service Reform Act of 2022 in detail. On page four is News from Washington. Federal Retirement Fairness Act expected to be reintroduced in-house. As this magazine was going to print, the Federal Retirement Fairness Act was expected to be reintroduced any day. Representatives Derek Kilmer, Democrat, Washington, David Valadao, Republican, California, Don Bacon, Republican, Nebraska, and Jerry Connolly, Democrat, Virginia, were expected to reintroduce the bill, which would allow certain federal employees to make catch-up retirement contributions for time spent as non-career employees after December 31, 1988, making it creditable service under the federal employees' retirement system. The legislation would cover letter carriers who were employed as casuals, transitional employees, or city carrier assistants, providing them with greater retirement security. NALC is pleased to see the Federal Retirement Fairness Act reintroduced in the House, NALC President Brian L. Renfro said. We urge the House to pass the bill, which would benefit letter carriers and other federal employees who have devoted their working lives to public service. A significant number of active city letter carriers have worked in a non-career position, and that time is not currently creditable for retirement. This bill would change that, allowing letter carriers and millions of other federal employees to buy back this time and plan for their well-earned retirements. This bill is a top priority for NALC. For the latest information, please check the Government Affairs section of NALC.org and visit NALC.org slash factsheets. Taubin Day confirmed for PRC. On September 28th, the Senate confirmed the nominations of Thomas G. Day and Robert G. Taub to be commissioners of the Postal Regulatory Commission, PRC. After they were nominated by President Biden to serve as PRC commissioners, the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs had advanced their nominations following hearings earlier in September. The PRC is an independent agency that exercises regulatory oversight over the Postal Service. Its responsibilities include preventing anti-competitive practices, promoting accountability, adjudicating complaints, setting postal rates, and helping oversee delivery service standards. The PRC is made up of five commissioners who are nominated by the president for six-year terms and confirmed by the Senate. Taub is a two-time appointee to the commission following unanimous confirmations by the Senate in 2011 and 2016. Taub previously served as chairman of the commission from December 2014 until January 2021. Day, a first-time commissioner, will bring broad experience in both the global and domestic postal sectors, including 35 years working in senior roles at the Postal Service. Day and Taub were both confirmed for terms that will expire on August 14, 2028. NALC congratulates Thomas Day and Robert Taub on their confirmations to this important agency, President Renfro said. We look forward to working with them to ensure that the Postal Regulatory Commission fulfills its oversight responsibilities to promote a postal service that benefits the letter carriers who deliver America's mail and our customers. Congress narrowly funds government through November 17th. House Speaker battle continues. On September 30th, President Biden signed a continuing resolution that Congress had passed hours before, narrowly avoiding a government shutdown that would have been triggered the next day. After weeks of partisan fighting, 
and failure of both chambers to pass the 12 appropriations bills needed to fund the government, the House voted 335 to 91 to extend government funding at current levels through November 17th. In a bipartisan vote, 209 Democratic members, all party members except Representative Mike Quigley, Democrat, Illinois, voted for the measure while only 126 Republicans did so. 90 Republicans voted against the measure. Hours after the House passage, the Senate passed the continuing resolution in an 88-9 to vote, sending the measure to President Biden's desk. He signed it the same night before the midnight deadline. Despite the bipartisan nature of the stopgap bill, a small number of Republicans said they were furious that Representative McCarthy had worked with Democrats to move the measure forward. On October 3rd, Representative Matt Gates, Republican Florida, acted on a threat that he had been making for months by filing a motion to vacate the House Speaker position. The same day, the House held a vote on the motion, which passed and removed Representative McCarthy as Speaker, the first time that has happened in history. In a 216 to 210 vote, eight Republicans joined all Democrats to remove Representative McCarthy from the leading House role. Republican Representatives Andy Biggs, Arizona, Ken Buck, Colorado, Tim Burchett, Tennessee, Eli Crane, Arizona, Bob Good, Virginia, Nancy Mace, South Carolina, and Matt Rosendale, Montana, joined Gates in voting to oust Speaker McCarthy. Following the vote, Representative Patrick McHenry, Republican North Carolina, who was named Speaker pro tempore, immediately recessed the chamber. After McCarthy announced that he would not seek the role of Speaker again, there was no clear successor. Without a speaker, the House is essentially frozen and cannot consider any legislation on the House floor. With the government shutdown looming, a non-functional House has serious repercussions for all Americans. On October 11th, more than a week after McCarthy was ousted, the Republican caucus held a closed-door meeting to choose its speaker nominee. In a 113-99 to vote, Representative Steve Scalise, Republican Louisiana, the current majority leader, defeated Representative Jim Jordan, Republican Ohio. However, a nominee needs a majority of House members, currently 217 votes with two vacancies, to become Speaker. Scalise was unable to whip enough votes to win the position, and he dropped out of the race just one day after GOP members had chosen him as their candidate. Jordan was then selected as the second Republican nominee. He lost a vote on the House floor as this magazine was going to print, with 20 Republicans opting not to vote for Jordan. As this magazine was going to print, it remained unclear who would become speaker or when. While infighting in the Republican Party continues, the Democratic Party had, has been putting up a unified front, reiterating that their choice for House Speaker has been and will remain Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat, New York. While Jeffries would not receive a majority of House votes unless some Republicans unexpectedly decided to side with him, the House Democrats are using this moment to contrast their unity with the divided Republicans. Regardless of who becomes Speaker and how the remainder of the 118th Congress shakes out, it is all but certain that whichever party has control of the next Congress will only have a slim majority, meaning that to successfully govern, lawmakers will have to work in bipartisan manner to move any legislation forward. This means that now, more than ever, it is important to have pro-letter carrier lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. Despite partisan divisions and contentious issues, when candidates who support letter carriers are elected, NALC comes out on top. Leadership and support from both sides of the aisle propelled the Postal Service Reform Act into law last year. NALC will continue to take a bipartisan approach to our issues to keep achieving victories for letter carriers. 
Our success on Capitol Hill, including electing pro-letter carrier candidates, is made possible through the Letter Carrier Political Fund, LCPF. When you contribute to LCPF, you are contributing to your job and your retirement security. LCPF funds are used to help elect candidates who will support our issues and stand with letter carriers. It is critical that we continue to work together to ensure pro-letter carrier members are elected nationwide. To sign up or to get more information on how to donate to LCPF, visit NALC.org PAC. On page six is California carriers hold rallies to raise awareness of crime. Chanting enough is enough, letter carriers from two California branches held rallies in October to highlight the surge in criminal attacks on letter carriers that is occurring nationwide. Everyone is here today because enough is enough, Region 1 National Business Agent Keisha Lewis told dozens of Garden Grove Branch 1100 letter carriers and other postal workers at a rally outside Compton's main post office on October 4th. When I got hired, it was unheard of for a letter carrier to be approached or attacked by anyone, and this has to stop. NELC President Brian L. Renpro agreed, telling attendees, The Postal Service was founded nearly 250 years ago, and since then, letter carriers have been able to walk down even the meanest streets of this country without many problems. Unfortunately, that's no longer the case. The change began in the COVID-19 pandemic's early days, when valuable contents flowed through the mail stream, such as stimulus checks. That, in turn, led to elaborate check-watching schemes. One of the things that's very concerning is that a lot of these crimes seem to be organized, he told the reporter in Compton. So you've got the people who are robbing letter carriers, not necessarily the people who are utilizing those checks once they get their hands on them. So there's a number of layers to it. This problem is growing, not just here in Compton, not just here in Southern California, but around the entire country, Renfro added. Nearly every single day, we hear of additional incidents of violence against our members. Think about this. Targeted armed robberies, assaults, shootings, and even murder have become part of our job. NELC is leading the call for strong action that will stop the trend. Over the past several weeks, we've had rallies like this in Chicago, Renfro said. We've had events in Cincinnati to bring attention to these violent attacks against our members. And that's why we're here once again tonight to send a very clear message. This violence against our members has to stop. He told the media covering the rally that since 2020, there have been more than 2,000 violent attacks on letter carriers. Of that, only about 14% have been prosecuted federally. He said, adding to the audience, let that sink in. You know what that tells me? That there's a strong message being sent that 86% of the people who do this get away with it. And that has to change, he said. Eight days later, Greater East Bay Branch 1111 organized a rally in Oakland to spread the word in the Bay Area. We have lost some employees. They have resigned after being robbed, Branch 1111 President Ed Fletcher told the attendees on October 12th. Some of them are still out and have not come back because of post-traumatic stress of being robbed. In Oakland, Renfro repeated his call for the community to help protect letter carriers. Even though letter carriers are federal employees and crimes against letter carriers performing their duties are federal crimes, the prosecutions that have occurred have often been at the local level, watering down sentences compared to the penalties available to prosecutors. It takes a joint investigation among the Postal Inspection Service, the U.S. Attorney General's Office, and a local police force to hand over the case to federal prosecutors. That, combined with the low number of such cases being prosecuted in the first place, leaves much to be desired in terms of deterring potential lawbreakers who aim to attack letter carriers. 
When these crimes are not prosecuted, it sends a message to criminals that they can get away with robbing a letter carrier, President Renfro said. I am furious that our members continue to be targeted and harmed with no end in sight, he said. I've said many times that there's no single solution to this disturbing problem, but more can be and must be done, and it must be done immediately. Every employer has a duty and obligation to protect its employees on the job. The Postal Inspection Service is not protecting us, and the U.S. Department of Justice is not doing its job prosecuting these crimes, he added. In a positive sign, two days before the Oakland rally, the U.S. Attorney of Northern California and U.S. Postal Inspector in charge announced the indictments of 10 people involved with the theft of postal keys, mail truck break-ins, assaults on letter carriers, and other criminal acts involving the interference with the delivery of mail. They also raised the reward for information leading to arrests and convictions in such cases to $150,000 from $50,000. For folks who are out there threatening letter carriers, committing these robberies, stealing these keys, we will charge these cases federally and there will be severe consequences, U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of California, Ismail J. Ramsey said. To any copycats or wannabes out there who might consider robbing a postal worker, I ask you to consider the years you will face in federal prison, the price on your head, and that postal inspectors will not stop hunting you. The proceeds of this crime are not worth your freedom, postal inspector in charge Rafael Nunez said. In addition to federal prosecution, President Renfro has called on the USPS Inspection Service to increase its efforts at preventing these violent attacks before they occur. Postal inspectors and postal police officers work diligently to investigate and prevent instances of violence against our employees, he said. And yet, current methods of prevention clearly are not working. The situation is worsening. Renfro called on the inspection service's leaders to do more. Times have drastically changed, and methods for protecting our members while we do our job must reflect the current circumstances. The rallies are part of NELC's effort to get out a multifaceted message to the Postal Service to better protect letter carriers on their routes, to residents to alert authorities if they see anything worrisome, and to prevent and to preserve evidence, such as doorbell or other surveillance videos for use by investigators, to their elected representatives to be aware of the need for solutions, and to locally-based federal prosecutors to take these cases and apply the more harsh federal penalties that local prosecutors do not have available. Another way NELC is getting the message out is through regional TV broadcasts, radio shows, and print articles about the rash of violence nationwide. Bringing the letter carrier perspective to these media reports increases community awareness of the issue and helps strengthen NELC's calls for solution. That is especially so because of the widespread public support for letter carriers, who in poll after poll have for years topped the list of the most trusted and highly regarded federal employees. President Renfro called on local branches to hold rallies such as the initial four, Branch leaders are encouraged to contact their national business agents' offices for information and material to help organize a rally or for help contacting the media to amplify our message to their communities. Events like these make a difference and bring awareness to this growing problem. I encourage all NELC branches, especially in areas that are experiencing an uptick in crime, to mobilize and plan similar events, he said. When we all come out with a unified message, we are heard. On page 8 is... Make the most of your investments in the Thrift Savings Plan. The end of the year is a great time to take stock of your finances. That's true whether you've just converted to career or are a longtime carrier. As a letter carrier, that means considering how the Thrift Savings Plan, TSP, can play a valuable role in your retirement strategy. The TSP is an essential component of the Federal Employees Retirement System, FERS. The retirement program that covers most USPS employees. Like many of the 401k savings plans, 
offered by private sector employers, the TSP allows federal employees to save pre-tax dollars each month in an investment account, giving letter carriers who participate the chance to save for retirement quickly and easily. TSP participants choose how the money in their account is invested. The Postal Service automatically enrolls new career care carriers in TSP. City Carrier Assistants, CCAs, converted to career or career letter carriers hired on or after July 31, 2010, have been automatically enrolled. 5% of the base pay of new enrollees is automatically deducted and deposited in a TSP account each pay period, though participants may choose to eliminate, increase, or decrease their level of contributions. The Postal Service deposits matching contributions up to 4% of basic pay, as well as automatic agency contributions equal to 1% of basic pay. Career letter carriers hired before July 31, 2010 and covered by FERS were automatically enrolled in a TSP account with 1% contributions from the Postal Service, but with no automatic employee deductions. Instead, the deductions must be set up by the employee. USPS will match a portion of the first 5% of FERS contributions. The first 3% is matched dollar for dollar. The next 2% are matched with 50 cents per dollar. This is in addition to USPS's automatic 1% contribution for a total USPS contribution of 5% of the letter carrier's base pay when the carrier elects to contribute 5% or more. For CCAs who have not yet converted to career letter carriers, NALC's Mutual Benefit Association offers a CCA retirement savings plan, where traditional IRA funds can be rolled into the TSP once the CCA becomes a career letter carrier. Unlike with some other employee benefits, there is no open season for enrollment in TSP. Carriers use light blue to enroll in the TSP or to make changes to their deductions or investments at any time of the year. The benefits of easy tax-deferred savings through TSP are amplified by the Postal Service's matching contributions to your account. Participating employees can also make unmatched contributions above the 5% level, but the IRS annual limit for total contributions to the TSP and other such retirement savings plans is $22,500 in 2023. Participants might be eligible to make additional catch-up contributions to boost their savings beginning the year they turn 50. These catch-up contributions are not matched by USPS and are limited to $7,500 in 2023. Carriers covered by the Civil Service Retirement System can also join TSP, but they do not receive matching contributions from USPS. Nevertheless, like their FERS counterparts, they can keep more of what they save because of the tax savings and the TSP's minimal administrative costs. Indeed, such costs are much lower than those of similar private plans. In 2022, the TSP charged participants a net administrative expense of no more than $0.59 cents per $1,000 invested for each investment fund, or 0.059%. That is much lower than the 025 to 1% that many private financial advisors typically charge. TSP accounts do not expire when letter carriers separate from federal service. Letter carriers can still change their investment mix while their account continues to accumulate earnings. They can even transfer IRAs or eligible employer plans, such as 401ks, into a TSP account. The TSP has a mobile app, which allows letter carriers to monitor their TSP accounts and complete transactions from anywhere. Users can check their account balance, track fund performance, make transaction requests, submit documents, manage payment information, scan checks, and more. 
TSP also has a record-keeping system available on the TSP website that displays letter carriers' investments clearly, and that makes it easier for them to find and use account management tools. In addition to investing in TSP funds, letter carriers who meet certain eligibility requirements have the option to invest some of their TSP savings in a mutual fund window. The mutual fund window is designed for TSP participants who are interested in greater investment flexibility. However, there are fees for these transactions. Since enactment of the TSP Modernization Act in September 2019, letter carriers have gained a number of flexible withdrawal options when they leave federal service, such as multiple single withdrawals and the ability to change the frequency and the amount of installment payments at any time during the year. Explore these options and more in the booklet Withdrawing from Your TSP Account for Separated and Beneficiary Participants, available at tsp.gov. Visit tsp.gov or call TSP Y-O-U-F-R-S-T or 877-968-3778 to check out planning tools and calculators designed to assist with retirement decisions. On page 9 is Still Time to Give Through the CFC. As reported last month, the open enrollment period for the Combined Federal Campaign, CFC, began on September 1st and ends on January 15, 2024. Since its inception in 1961, the CFC has raised nearly $8.7 billion for charities and people in need. Federal and postal employees participate in the CFC by choosing from a list of charities to support through automatic deductions from their paychecks. Every day on the job, letter carriers see what we can accomplish when we pull together, NALC President Brian L. Renfro said. CFC works the same way. By giving a little each pay period to charities you support, you can easily and effectively make the world a better place. All active letter carriers can participate in the CFC through payroll deduction. Participants may use payroll deduction, credit or debit cards, or bank accounts to make recurring donations. They also may make a one-time donation using any of these methods except payroll deduction. Participants can even volunteer for the charity and count the value of the hours as money raised. The easiest way to sign up is through the CFC donor pledging system at cfcgiving.opm.gov or through the CFC Giving smartphone app, available on the App Store and Google Play. Retired letter carriers may donate through a deduction from the annuity by making a one-time or recurring donation using a credit or debit card, or through an automatic deduction from their bank account using the CFC donor pledging system. Letter carriers can choose from among 2,000-plus nonprofit charitable organizations to support through CFC. By looking at the list and choosing a charity's CFC number, you can donate directly to one or more charities. You can search for charities at cfcgiving.opm.gov offerings. One charity that many carriers choose to support through CFC is the Muscular Dystrophy Association, MDA, NELC's official charity since 1952. MDA is the world's leading nonprofit health organization sponsoring research into the causes of and effective treatments for neuromuscular diseases. MDA research grants support research projects worldwide, as well as camps and activities for children who have any of these diseases. MDA's CFC number is 10561. There's no easier way to make a difference than through CFC, Renfro said. For more information, go to nalc.org slash CFC. On page 10 is Letter Carriers and the Mail on Social Media. Various news stories and interesting anecdotes that celebrate letter carriers and the mail have been appearing on social media. The following are some that have come to the union's attention. If you come across a story you'd like us to consider featuring, send it to social at nalc.org. 
beloved Wisconsin carrier retires. On Tuesday, September 19th, the Milwaukee Common Council honored Michael Booth, also known as Mailman Mike, for 30 years with the Postal Service. The Branch 2 member, who retired on September 23rd, worked as a letter carrier with the North Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Drive Post Office. He grew up in Wisconsin, joined the Army, and then spent the rest of his career in West Dallas. I have to wake up every day and go to work, so my truth to me is to have a good day, Booth said during his speech in front of the council. And I think all of us in here are dog-tired. I think that we should hold ourselves to that. We have to live like the children are watching us. You know, when they think you're cool and they're going to emulate you. So it's very important that you show the right example because they're sponges and they're going to soak it up. Booth's customers didn't let him retire without a celebration, however. On September 24th, they threw a party in his honor, showering him with well wishes and gifts. Artist and business owner Brandon Oaks presented Booth with a portrait of the letter carrier, wearing a smile and a colorful shirt with sunflowers swaying and bees flitting around him and the words, be a good guy at the top. I just wanted to capture Mike's spirit, which is such a beautiful beacon of light and hope, Oaks told WTMJ-TV, the area's NBC affiliate. The kids would always see him in the morning, and every day he walks away telling them to be a good guy. Now they say that to each other, and it's a really wonderful thing. The residents also gave Booth a cardboard replica of a mailbox signed with well wishes and words of love. Booth is starting out his retirement with a vacation in Italy. In the meantime, he reminded the partygoers to focus on life rather than solely on work. Maybe we all can be a little nicer to each other. Y'all have a good day. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy yourselves. Virginia Carrier brings joy to neighborhood. Ira Hopkins Jr. of Richmond, Virginia, adds a special ingredient to his routes, a smile. A customer told WWBT-TV, the local NBC affiliate, that it makes their day. He has such a great smile. Every time I see him, he's just smiling. His kindness isn't limited to smiling either. Ira checks in on all of us. He's friendly. He's always got a smile on his face, even in the heat, another resident said. The branch 496 member also knows many of the residents by name and is always friendly to the dogs on his route. Hopkins' good spirits brought such joy to the neighborhood that his customers nominated him for the station's Acts of Kindness program. For the honor, WWBT gave him $300. He's performing a vital public service that we probably take for granted too much, and he always does it in a good mood, and that's something to be valued these days, one resident explained. Hopkins says he appreciates seeing his customers happy. I take care of them, and obviously they take care of me. It's a good feeling when they appreciate my hard work. USPS releases wintry stamps. Snow globes make for beautiful souvenirs to bring home from one's travels, and these snow globes will do the traveling all by themselves. The U.S. Postal Service has issued a new set of stamps for the holiday season. Each stamp displays a snow globe sitting on a brown base with varying scenes inside of them. A snowman smoking a pipe against a green background, Santa Claus entering a chimney with his sack of presents against a blue background, a reindeer in the snow against a red background, and a snowy Christmas tree decorated with lights against a purple background. These stamps were designed by Derry Noyce, an art director for USPS, using original art by Gregory Manchess. The dedication ceremony for the stamps was held at the Stephen C. West Ice Arena in Breckenridge, Colorado, with attendance by Eric Mamula, the mayor of Breckenridge, and Harry Rinker, author of a book about snow globes and a member of the Postal Service Citizens Stamp Advisory Committee. Snow globes cause wonder, Rinker told TBR News Media. Every shake is different, and each time a globe is shaken, it's the beginning of a new adventure. Shaking a snow globe is an opportunity to relive a multitude of childhood, winter, and winter holiday memories. California Carrier retires to hometown. 
Dolly McPherson of San Diego, California, is retiring from the Postal Service after 40 years. The Branch 70 member was born in Sara Mesa, grew up there, and spent her career there, and now she plans to retire just down the street. It's been the pleasure of my lifetime to be able to work here. I've had tons of fun and moved tons of mail, McPherson told NBC. It feels really good, but a little awkward thinking that I'm not going to be getting up every morning at 5 and getting ready to come into work to case and carry the route. McPherson started her postal career in University City until a route opened up in her hometown. She promptly transferred. McPherson's route was an average of 18 miles per day. I've gone through a lot of shoes, she said. In the 1960s, Sarah Mesa went by a different name. Several, in fact. It was broken up into several sections back then. However, the council decided to join the sections together. About 450 people entered a contest to decide on the area's new name, and Dolly's mother, Frances, won. Dolly explained this adds to how meaningful the neighborhood is to her. It's been the best experience of my life. I'm truly going to miss all of you, she told her customers via NBC. Most senior carrier in Osceola, Iowa, retires. On September 29th, Randy Pearson of Osceola, Iowa, retired from the Postal Service after 27 years. Upon his departure, Pearson held the title of the area's most senior postal worker. Randy has been a huge asset to our office, and we will greatly miss him. We wish him the best in his upcoming journey, Ashley Schaff, Osceola Post Office Supervisor, said. Pearson, a Branch 2195 member, started with the Postal Service in 1996 after transitioning from a construction job due to a slowed market. He worked for five years as a rural carrier and spent the last 22 as a city carrier. In 27 years, Pearson recalls only one day which he didn't have to deliver the mail, a snowy, blustery day with dangerous wind levels. I will not miss the winter walks, Pearson told the Osceola Sentinel Tribune. However, the carrier is holding his options open. He says he might work as a substitute carrier if necessary. I'll miss my coworkers and my customers, Pearson said. Hi, this is Michelle McQuality, Special Assistant to the President, and I'll be reading an article on page 12 of the November Postal Record called Grievance Arbitration Procedure for Text Letter Carriers' Rights. The national agreement between NALC and the Postal Service sets the terms and conditions that the parties have agreed will govern the workplace for city carriers. Despite the agreement between NALC and USPS, occasionally these rights and benefits become the subject of dispute between NALC members and postal management. To best enforce these rights, all letter carriers, including CCAs and PTFs, should understand the grievance procedure and how it works. NALC President Brian L. Renfro said, Article 15 of the National Agreement lays out the grievance arbitration procedure that is used to resolve disputes. Though the process includes several steps, it is designed to resolve disputes and grievances at the lowest possible step. Understanding the grievance process will put you in a much better position to help yourself, your shop steward, and your fellow carriers if management violates the contract. The grievance procedure starts with your shop steward. Shop stewards are the foot soldiers in NALC's efforts to enforce the national agreement. Stewards are letter carriers with special training and knowledge of the contract. Whenever management fails to provide a letter carrier with what they are entitled to under the national agreement, the steward is the first to handle the problem. Talk to your steward if you have an issue, no matter how large or small the issue may be. Sometimes problems are resolved without the letter carriers involved even knowing about it. Many times a steward goes to a manager and fixes a problem or a potential problem just by informing the manager of a situation or reminding the manager of what the contract requires, Renfro said. 
The issue gets resolved before it begins, and letter carriers down the line may never have to deal with the problem in the first place. All letter carriers have rights under the National Agreement, and all letter carriers should ask a steward to enforce those rights if they have been violated or denied. If other attempts to resolve a dispute or correct a contract violation fail, the steward may decide that a grievance is necessary. A grievance is a dispute, difference, disagreement, or complaint between the parties related to wages, hours, or working conditions of letter carriers. The process gives every letter carrier an opportunity to have their voice heard when management violates the national agreement. The national agreement requires that grievances be filed within 14 days of when the contract violation took place, so be sure to talk to your steward as soon as possible after you become aware of a problem. In each grievance, the union asks for a remedy. The remedy request should accomplish a couple of goals. For starters, it should require that management stop violating the contract. Additionally, some grievances ask for a monetary award to compensate the letter carrier if they suffered a loss in pay or some other loss because of the contract violation. It is important to give your shop steward all the information about the issue so the steward can request the appropriate remedy. There are four potential steps in the grievance process, starting with informal step A, which involves the steward discussing the issue with the supervisor. This initial step gives supervisors a chance to fix the problem immediately by talking to the steward without much paperwork. If the grievance is not resolved at informal step A, the union may appeal the grievance to formal step A within seven days of the informal step A discussion. At formal step A, the NALC branch president and the postmaster, or their designees, are responsible for fully developing the facts of the grievance, exchanging relevant documents, and meeting to attempt to resolve the grievance. If the grievance is not resolved at formal step A, the union may appeal the grievance to step B of the process. The union and management formal step A representatives each write their facts and contentions about the issue and send them, along with all the relevant documentation, to one of the full-time dispute resolution teams, DRTs. These DRTs operate all over the country under the guidelines contained in the Memorandum of Understanding, RE Article 15, Dispute Resolution Process, incorporated into the National Agreement. Each DRT is composed of a letter carrier and a manager who jointly consider the evidence, consult the National Agreement, and try to resolve the grievance. DRT members are jointly trained on the contract and how to apply its terms to resolve disputes. If the DRT can't agree on a resolution and instead reaches an impasse, the NALC National Business Agent for the region may appeal the grievance to arbitration. Once an NBA appeals the grievance, an arbitration hearing is held, during which the union and management present evidence and testimony to a neutral arbitrator. The neutral arbitrator then issues a final and binding written decision on the grievance. To make the job of applying the national agreement even easier, USPS and NALC publish a Joint Contract Administration Manual, JCAM, that clarifies section by section the meaning of the contract as agreed upon by both the union and management, often based on the outcome of previous grievances. With the JCAM in hand, Stewards and managers can settle many disputes quickly. The JCAM is available to all NALC members on the NALC website.
A printed copy has also been provided to every post office and delivery unit throughout the country to assist in resolving contractual disputes. With the signing of each new national agreement, NALC and USPS revised the JCAM to reflect the contractual changes. The NALC process has proven to be one of the best dispute resolution processes among postal unions, or even unions in other industries. Grievances often are settled relatively quickly and fairly because everything is disclosed up front. The process is designed to use the facts to state what happened and to use the contract to determine if a violation has taken place and what is needed to remedy the violation. It encourages confronting the problem head on and prevent it from happening again in the future. Even though NALC is the largest postal union, only a small percentage of grievances from a postal employees that go all the way to arbitration involve letter carriers. Full disclosure of the facts at the beginning of the grievance process generally makes for speedy and fair outcomes, but it also makes a letter carrier responsible for supplying facts and possibly evidence such as a written statement up front. Your best chance for a successful grievance is to give your steward all the information you have and whatever else they need to build a solid case, President Renfro said. Don't hold anything back for any reason. Help your steward make the best case for you. Many letter carriers become shop stewards after seeing the success of the grievance process and wanting to help their fellow letter carriers. Increased knowledge and understanding of the grievance process among all letter carriers will only make the process more successful going forward and get more letter carriers interested in serving as shop stewards in the future. Over the years, an extensive list of contract violations have been reversed or prevented through the grievance process, Renfro said. Shop stewards stand up for letter carriers day in and day out by enforcing the contract on the workroom floor. Their work turns a contract written on paper into an enforcement mechanism that protects our rights and makes our jobs better and safer. On page 14 is Proud to Serve. Proud to Serve is a semi-regular compilation of heroic stories about letter carriers in their communities. If you know about a hero in your branch, contact us as soon as possible at 202-662-2489 or at postalrecord at nalc.org. We'll follow up with you to obtain news clippings, photos, or other information. Honoring Heroic Carriers Heroism, like the mail, comes in many packages. Think of police officers or firefighters. But for some citizens in need of assistance, their heroes come in the form of concerned letter carriers. Letter carriers are members of nearly every community in this nation and know when something is wrong. Spotting fires and injuries, they often are the first to respond. The following stories document their heroism. For them, delivering for America is all in a day's work. Carrier helps victim when car crashes into office. Randy Fields was in the Valmont Post Office in Boulder, Colorado on a July morning when disaster struck. I heard a big crash and saw glass exploding into the post office, he said. A car had crashed into the building. He ran toward it and watched as the driver tried to back out and then move forward, then back out again. As other coworkers tried to stop the woman from moving the car, Fields heard someone moaning in pain. I turned the corner and saw a man on all fours, the Boulder Branch 642 member said. Blood was pulsating from a wound on his left arm. The car had struck him and pinned him to a counter. The man, he later learned, was a postal customer named William Coffin. Fields, who has carried the mail since 2005, took off his belt and used it as a tourniquet with the help of a postal customer. 
They managed to stop the bleeding, but Coffin had lost a large amount of blood already and was slipping in and out of consciousness, so they talked to him to keep him awake. I was so scared he was going to die, Field said. Coffin was seriously injured, and when EMTs arrived, they took him to the hospital. Fields and his co-workers managed to go out on their routes that day. Police said charges are pending against the driver. Coffin survived and eventually returned home from the hospital. Mr. Coffin sustained a whole list of injuries, Field added, including a lacerated artery in his left arm, 16 broken ribs, fractured tibia separated from his knee, both ACLs and MCLs torn in both knees, a shattered pelvis, collapsed lung, and dislocated shoulder. Coffin will have to undergo more surgeries and rehabilitation before he is fully recovered. To thank Fields for helping to save his life, Coffin had him over for dinner. The emotions were incredible, Fields said, as we relived every moment for a solid two hours. As for being called heroic, Fields said, it took me a long while to realize that I am a hero. I initially just thought it was something that everyone would do for another human being. Protecting a woman threatened with a gun. In February, 15-year carrier Matthew Rose had finished his route and was ready to drive back to the post office when a distraught woman approached his truck. She told him a man she lived with was drunk and had a gun and was threatening her. The Chilukate, Ohio Branch 452 member, an Air Force veteran, called 911 and told the woman she could hide in his truck until police arrived. I let her sit in the back where she couldn't be seen, he said. While they waited for officers to respond, Rose talked to the woman to calm her down. When police arrived and he knew the woman was safe, he drove back to the station. I don't feel like I did much, Rose said. I'm glad I could help her out. He helped her to breathe again. Delivering to Frederick Soups and Comfort Foods in Frederick, Maryland in July, Troy Harris went inside the business and found the owner and another person dealing with a medical emergency. There was a lady passed out on the floor, Harris said. The Rockville Branch 2,835 member immediately tried to help. The woman, Ellen Baker, was not breathing. I looked in her mouth and saw that her tongue was rolled back, blocking the airway, he said. Harris reached into her mouth and pulled her tongue free, and she began breathing again and woke up with Harris by her side. The restaurant owner had called 911, and when paramedics arrived, I was gone like Batman, Harris said. I had to get back to my route. He didn't tell anyone at the station about the incident, but word got out when Baker contacted the post office to thank him. It turned out that Baker's husband, Jim, is a retired postmaster for a nearby town. Harris later met Baker again at the restaurant where she thanked him for his actions. I now have a second chance at living life on my terms, she told the Frederick News Post. I really don't think I ever took it for granted before, but I really don't take it for granted now. Harris was just glad he was there. God placed me at the right place and the right time, he said. It felt like it was the right thing to do. Help on the way. Lockwinder Gill was delivering on his route in Fremont, California on a winter day early this year when he heard a car horn honking. He found the source of the noise in an apartment parking lot. A woman he knew from his route was struggling with a medical emergency. I saw the lady honking in the car. Gill, a member of Greater East Bay Branch 1111, said she couldn't get out of the car. She was very sick. Gill, who has carried the mail for 35 years, helped her into her home and continued on his route. But he was still concerned about her, so he stopped by again on his way to the office and checked on her. Seeing that she wasn't improving, he alerted the apartment leasing office and called 911. After checking each day for a few weeks, he found the woman back home from a hospital stay, safe and sound. She had been hospitalized for congestive heart failure. 
I am alive and well today because my mailman cared, the woman wrote to Gill's postmaster to thank him. It's our responsibility to take care of our customers, Gill said. Delivering mail on a busy street in May, Buffalo Western New York 3 member Jonathan Fidden spotted a man in trouble. I came out of a business and happened to see a gentleman seizing in the street, Fidden, a carrier since 2015, said. A woman who identified herself as a nurse stopped her car to help. Fidden and the nurse pulled the man into a parking lot to keep him from being hit by cars. Fidden then called 911 and waited with the nurse. They turned him onto his side to help keep him from choking. I stabilized him as best I could, he said. EMTs arrived and took the man to a hospital. Though he was unable to learn the man's identity or the outcome of the emergency, Fidden knows he made an effort to help. Honestly, I really didn't do much, Fidden said, but I did what I could. On page 16 is two appointed as RWCAs. President Brian L. Renfro appointed Deborah Lundgren as a Regional Workers' Compensation Assistant, RWCA, for Region 1, California, Hawaii, Nevada, and the Territory of Guam. Lundgren began her postal career as a casual clerk in 2002, then transferred to become a part-time flexible PTF carrier in 2004 in La Habra, California, joining Garden Grove, California, Branch 1100. She became a steward and formal A designee. She was elected a branch board member at large in 2016 and a branch trustee in 2019 and also served on the City Delivery Route Alternative Adjustment Process, CDRAP. Route Adjustment Team, and the MDA Fundraising Committee. In 2022, she joined the NALC headquarters team working on the testing, implementation, and operation of the Technology Integrated Alternate Route Evaluation and Adjustment Process. She has served as a National Assigned Assistant, NAA, in Region 1 to assist with route adjustment and route adjustment training. Lungerin also assisted RWCAs in the region. She attended Advanced Formal A and Beyond and Advanced Workers' Compensation Training. Lundgren is a current student at the NALC Leadership Academy. The president appointed Willie Groeschel of Portland, Oregon, Branch 82, as an RWCA for Region 2, Alaska, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. Groeschel began his career as a rural carrier associate in 2005 and became a PTF city carrier later that year. His union activism began when he was appointed safety captain for his station. He has since served as an alternate steward, steward, route adjustment team member, and chairman of the organizing committee. Groeschel was elected to his branch's executive board in 2013 and served until 2019 when he became president of the Oregon State Association following his service on the state executive board and a state vice president. He also is the legislative liaison to the Oregon AFL-CIO. In addition, he has served as an NAA for Region 2 and provided assistance with Office of Workers' Compensation Programs issues on the regional level and national level. Grishel graduated from the NALC Leadership Academy in 2011. Also on that page, wrap session coverage in December issue. The 2023 NELC National Conference, or RAP Session, in New Orleans was set to be held November 17th through 19th, after this issue of the Postal Record went to press. Coverage of the National Conference will be featured in the December issue of the Postal Record. Also on that page, Penalty Overtime Exclusion Set. As referenced in Article 8, Sections 4 and 5 of the USPS NELC National Agreement, the December period during which penalty overtime regulations are not applicable consists of four consecutive service weeks. This year, the December period begins pay period 26-23, week 1, December 2, 2023, and ends pay period 01-24, week 2, December 29, 2023. On page 17 is the Veterans Group, Making Deposits for Military Service. 
As planning for retirement is on the minds of many of our members, we're reprinting this article last published in May about how to make deposits toward retirement for time spent in military service. The law that permits certain veterans to make deposit for their time in the military to count towards Civil Service Retirement Systems, CSRS, or Federal Employees Retirement System, FERS, Retirement Eligibility and Amount of Annuity, requires the employee to completely pay the full amount of the deposit prior to separation for retirement. This column begins with a general introduction to making a deposit for military service, follows with discussion of the Postal Service's obligation to provide accurate and complete counseling regarding deposits for military service, and ends with a review of the exception to the general rule that military deposits must be completed prior to separation. Under the CSRS and the FERS, an individual's years of service is a determining factor to establish eligibility to retire and to calculate the amount of the retirement pension. Generally, years of service are computed for a retiring employee by measuring the elapsed time between the start date of career service and the date of separation for retirement. Military veterans can, in most cases, increase their years of service by making a deposit for their time in the military. Many veterans will find this advantageous because doing so may enable them to retire earlier and receive a higher pension. The amount of the deposit depends on which retirement system a veteran is in, how much they earned in the military, and when the deposit is made. The Office of Personnel Management, OPM, is the federal agency that has authority over CSRS and FERS retirement matters. OPM regulations require that deposits for military service be paid in full prior to the date of retirement. The deposit must be made to the employing agency, in our case the Postal Service. The amount of the deposit is 7% of basic military pay under CSRS or 3% of basic military pay under FERS. Interest will begin to accrue two years after beginning career employment at the Postal Service and is compounded annually. However, if the deposit is completed prior to the third year, there is no interest charged. The Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act, USERA, provides an alternative method to calculate the deposit under certain conditions. Where military service interrupts creditable civilian service and reemployment, the deposit payable may not exceed the amount that would have been deducted and withheld from basic pay during civilian service if the employee had not performed the period of military service. The Postal Service, when applicable, should calculate the deposit under the normal method and the alternate method under USERA. The deposit will be the lesser of the two. OPM regulates federal employers, including the Postal Service, when it comes to retirement matters. OPM provides the following guidance in a Benefits Administration Letter, BAL 17-101, dated January 27, 2017. Each federal employing agency must have the capacity to counsel, calculate, collect, and to post all payments related to employees' deposits for military service. Agencies are required to provide accurate and complete counseling to all employees who seek to make post-1956 military deposit. This includes counseling as to the effect of paying or not paying the deposits, as well as the proper calculation of the deposits. Agencies are responsible for including accurate information about the accrual of interest on military deposits and to accurately determine and apply the interest accrual date in any given request to make deposit for a period of military service. In general, an agency administrative error occurs when in response to an employee's inquiry, the employing agency provides material misinformation concerning the deposit and the consequences of not making the deposit prior to separation. 
In addition, if an employee at the time of election affirmatively asks for information regarding the amount of the military deposit or the consequences of failing to make a deposit, the government commits administrative error if its response either misrepresents the dollar amounts in question or is so indirect, inaccurate, or incomplete as to confuse the employee as to the amount of the deposit or the effect of any failure to make the deposit on the annuity recalculation. It is clear from the above that the Postal Service is required to provide accurate and complete counseling regarding making deposit for military service to any employee requesting such counseling. There have, however, been instances where the Postal Service provided inaccurate and incomplete advice about making deposit for military time. Fortunately, there is an exception to completing the full deposit prior to separation. If a veteran did not make the deposit prior to separation due to administrative error by the employing agency, the former employee may have the opportunity to make or complete a military deposit after separation. If a veteran does not make deposit for military service prior to retirement because of a Postal Service administrative error or incorrect advice, they can write to OPM and request belated deposit. OPM will investigate and make a decision allowing or disallowing the request. Adverse decisions by OPM on such a request can be appealed to the Merit Systems Protection Board. Veterans can access the above-quoted OPM Benefits Administration letter at opm.gov. Alternatively, you may contact the NALC Retirement Department at 202 393-4695 or 800-424-4695 Monday, Wednesday, or Thursday to request a mailed copy. To begin the military deposit process, contact the Human Resources Shared Services Center, HRSSC, at 877-477-3273, option 5, or TTD slash TTY at 866-260-7507. On page 18 is a model veteran. There are some chapters in life so integral to your story that no matter how long ago they were or how long they lasted, they stay with you forever. Many people try to recapture or preserve those memories by joining alumni associations or by attending reunions, for example. For Robert Eberlein, a Mishawaka, Indiana Branch 820 member, one such special chapter in his life was his military service, specifically when he served as a striker on the ammunition ship USS Nitro AE-23 for 18 months during the Vietnam War. Long after he left the service and embarked on his three-decade career as a letter carrier, to keep up with alumni of the ship, Everline founded and then served as president and then vice president of an association for fellow crew members of the USS Nitro AE-2 and AE-23. For the names of the ships, A is for ammunition ship, while E stands for auxiliary. These two specific vessels would supply other ships of the fleet. You cannot take an ammunition ship into combat because it's basically a floating bomb, Everlin said. You cannot take an oiler, that's the refiller, to a battle because once that's empty, that's basically an empty gas can. The auxiliary ships repair, they refuel, and they rearm the glory ships, the battleships, the submarines, the aircraft carriers, Everlin continued. Those ships take the fight to the enemy, thus there are models for them. The USS Nitro AE-2 was commissioned in 1921 and decommissioned in 1946 after World War II, while the USS Nitro AE-23, on which Everline served, beginning in 1967, was commissioned in 1959, decommissioned in 1995, and scrapped in 2011. About 10 years ago, he discovered that some association members had embarked on creating a model of the Nitro AE-23, but they all quit before construction had gotten underway, Everline said. And so I figured there has to be a reason why. The only reason why I took an interest in those two ships is because I served aboard the AE-23, Everline said. 
As the association learned more about model ships, he noted, the members realized, as far as we know, there are no models of a U.S. Navy ammunition ship, adding that they wanted to honor the ships and to honor the men who served. The two ships took many hours to create over the course of a year. They are not to scale, but to represent the actual ships, I had the help of another AE-23 crew member and two other veterans to complete them, the carrier said. They're a good representation of the originals. If you were to see it, you'd say, okay, that's what an ammunition ship looks like. Both models are 26.5 inches long, 9.5 inches wide, and 8 inches high, Eberlein said. Eberlein initially contacted a fellow veteran who was a woodworker to describe what he wanted to do. They started with the base of it, the hull for which they used a wooden model of a converted Liberty cargo ship from World War II, the same as the actual ship. The rest of the AE-23 model was made from photographs from the public domain and some blueprints that were found. We figured out why nobody finished it, he said, because the superstructure, that's where the men eat, sleep, and it's where the ship's offices are for different departments. For that model, it took over 50 individual cuts. I think that's where everybody got messed up at, because they thought when you take a block of wood and you cut it, it ends up what it's supposed to be, but it didn't. So what it basically amounted to was a mathematical nightmare, he added. He and his veteran woodworker pal took the better part of a day to measure all the saw blades and cut the block of wood to form the ship accurately. Then Everlyn took it home, began assembling it, and painted the base blue. Another veteran, who taught art at a local college, helped artistically and made it look like there were propellers in the water. And one more veteran friend, who had served on the ship the year before Evelyn, helped make it look like there were moving, violent waves on top of the blue painted base using clear bathroom caulk and large plastic spoons. We just spread it out and start beating away on it, Evelyn said. After about six months, the model was complete, including a radar mast, smokestack on the top, a helicopter pad, a set of flags, and the fleet emblem. He then began taking it to the yearly association reunions. Soon after, the group got blueprints and photographs of the AE-2, and they spent the next six months creating a model of that ship. We took it to one of the last reunions where the last of our World War II veterans were. I believe there were three of them still alive at that time, Evelyn said, adding that the World War II veterans enjoyed taking photos with the model. Lately, the group has been putting some finishing touches on the models, like painting a non-skid coating that is used on the deck of ships to prevent slipping, and adding details such as handrails and bombs. Eberlin and another veteran are scheduled to be featured on a local TV news station on Veterans Day with the models. Serving on the Nitro was far from Eberlin's only military service. Afterward, he attended the Naval Hospital Corps A school and worked at Naval Hospital Great Lakes north of Chicago in Illinois, and then at Softly Field in Pensacola, Florida. After he was out of the military, he was hired by the Postal Service as a letter carrier. A decade after leaving the military, he joined the Navy Reserve and was reassigned to the Marines in South Bend, Indiana as a Navy medic and then was assigned to Naval Hospital 29 Palms in California during Operation Desert Storm. Eberlein, who retired from the Postal Service in 2004, keeps busy. Now we have time to go out for community service, he says of retirement, which includes serving as the Director of Communications for the local chapter of the Vietnam Veterans of America and being a member of the Military Funeral Honors Guard in Mishawaka. Many years as part of those veteran groups, he'll speak at school or senior community events. The two models were a project that everyone was proud to be part of. You build this for the love of it, he said. This is the only way to honor the two ships, and so the general public can see actually what the ships look like. In the future, Evelyn hopes that the two ship models can make their way to military museums where they will be cherished. Though it's been many years since he's been haze gray and underway, Navy speak for duty at sea on surface ships, his military ties endure. He compares his pride in the Navy and his ship to someone's college alma mater. 
You're proud of your school, just like you're proud of being a Navy veteran. I am proud to have served aboard the Nitro. I am proud to have served as a hospital corpsman, he said. Veterans support each other in whatever endeavors they want to undertake, Everline said, adding that the Nitro AE-23 crew members like to get together because of their connection to the vessel. We ate, slept, and we lived aboard that ammunition ship, and it becomes part of you, he said. You can't forget it. On page 20 is Veterans Reflect on Service. Veterans Day is a day to thank those who have served in the military for their service. The Postal Record asked NALC members who are veterans to tell us about their military experience and how it helped them as letter carriers. Here's what some of them had to say. Ted Lee of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Branch 84, said that as he gets older, being a veteran is one of the things I am most proud of. It taught me the value of serving others along with serving my country. As an Air Force veteran of five years active duty and three years Army National Guard, I believe my active duty service made me want to continue wearing a uniform once honorably discharged. What a better way than to continue wearing blue, postal blue, instead of Air Force blue. Lee served in the Air Force from December 1988 through January 1994 and the Army National Guard from 1996 through 1999. He said that one skill that has come in handy is military bearing. Military bearing is behaving calmly and reasonably, even if you are faced with stress or live fire, he explained. It also allowed me to be able to maintain self-control in my civilian work life. Lee and others said that their military service led them to be leaders in their branches and state associations. The military also taught me to lead, which led me to being a shop steward to now the president of Branch 84 since October 2016. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Don Anen of Beloit, Wisconsin, Branch 715 said, As a Marine veteran, you live the meaning of always faithful. Semper Fidelis. I continued my service as a USPS letter carrier for my community and for my NALC union brothers and sisters over the past 36 years. I served six years in the United States Marine Corps, and I am a Desert Shield slash Storm veteran. Detroit Branch 1's Benjamin Dixon said, The discipline that was instilled in me has made me a stronger letter carrier. I just passed 30 years of service. Dixon said the discipline has helped him make it as he delivered through some dramatic conditions. Working through extreme weather events from the coldest winter to most snowfalls, hottest summers, flooding, tornado, and a worldwide pandemic, I have only had two unscheduled workdays. Linda Culp of Tulsa, Oklahoma, Branch 1358, joined the Marine Corps in 1966 and served until 1969. She said that being a veteran means that I stand upright with shoulders back. I shed a tear when I hear the star-spangled banner. My leather shoes are always spit-shined. I am physically in shape. I am loyal, honest, and I can work in a high-stress, fast-paced situation. I can put in a hard day's work, and I expect nothing in return. I am always faithful, and I served with pride. She pointed out that those same attributes were put to work when she became a union steward. Some members took the opportunity to share photos or acknowledge their experiences. Michael Ralph Solibello served honorably in the United States Marine Corps from February 9, 2004 to October 10, 2012, the Clearwater, Florida Branch 2008 member wrote, primarily as an intelligence specialist. The first part of my military career was attached to Regiment Combat Team 8, RCT-8, and Marine Division. While serving with RCT-8, I deployed to Fallujah, Iraq, in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, 2005-2006. 
In 2007, I transferred to the 10th Marine Division and redeployed to Al-Sad, Iraq, 2007 to 2008, as the Senior Intelligence Analyst for 1st Battalion, 10th Marines. Between 2008 and 2012, I served with the 10th Marine Division in many roles, including Senior Intelligence Analyst, Intelligence Chief, Classified Material Control Center Chief, as well as leading and training junior Marines. Ralph Solibello noted how important those who stayed home were to him, writing that his wife, Melinda, has been my constant throughout both my Marine Corps and postal career. We have been married 19 years and have two children, Kelly and Alexander. This is a photo of myself at the Tigris River in Iraq, circa 2005. Justin Lott of Marine, Illinois, Branch 318 said of the photo at right. I was with the 18th MP Brigade at the time, 793rd Task Force. Tim Seekins of Newport News, Virginia, Branch 609, served for 24 years in the Navy and the Coast Guard, retiring in 2004 as a senior chief petty officer. I served on three Los Angeles class attack submarines and four major Coast Guard cutters, he said. I served in each, and at the time of my retirement, I was the food services officer and the command senior chief aboard USCGC Hamilton WHEC 715. Seekin sent the photo at right of him and his daughter Sarah at her Army commissioning ceremony. Meanwhile, Jennifer Beck of Southwest Missouri Branch 366 said that her nine years in the Air Force taught her much about how to treat people, which helped in her 28 years in the Postal Service. I served from 1982 to 1992 as an E-4 Buck Sergeant and joined at the age of 19, she said. The United States Air Force was a wonderful start in my life, and I'm grateful my military experiences carried over as a mail carrier and as a NALC union steward. I have served honorably in both. My experience in the Air Force taught me about customer relations as my job was a passenger service specialist. Working with passengers taught me about how important protocol is. Regardless of whether the customer was a four-star general or an E-1 airman, I treat each as though they were all VIPs. As a mail carrier in a very small town of Carterville, Missouri, 64835, I carry this protocol with me. I wanted my customers to know they were all important to me. They were all VIPs. On page 22 is thank you for your service. The United States marks Veterans Day every November 11th to honor our military veterans. On this day, we celebrate the men and women who served in the armed forces, whether active duty, reserves, or National Guard. Veterans make up about 20% of the active and retired NEOC members. These letter carriers traded their military uniforms for postal ones and brought their skills and dedication to their new jobs. The union created the NELC Veterans Group in 2015 to recognize their service. The Veterans Group also provides them with resources related to their service, including valuable information about benefits. NELC honors and assists our veterans every day of the year through the Veterans Group, President Brian L. Renfro said. The list that follows consists of members of the NELC Veterans Group. Veteran letter carriers are not automatically included in the group. Because we have no reliable way of knowing who is a veteran, members must sign up for the group. To date, 19,194 NLC members have joined the Veterans Group. If you are a veteran and haven't yet joined, read on for instructions on how to do so. Membership in the Veterans Group provides access to information and tools specific to veterans' rights and benefits. The Postal Service, as one of the largest civilian employers of military veterans, is a beneficiary of the commitment and reliability of veterans. The same level of devotion and allegiance also has made the NALC Veterans Group one of the strongest and most successful of veteran organizations in the labor movement.
Led by Assistant to the President for Community Services, Christina Vela-Davidson, an Army veteran, the NELC Veterans Group provides useful information to members and encourages their efforts to help each other and their communities. Our success in the military or the Postal Service happens when we stick together, Davidson said. As a disabled veteran, I've experienced this firsthand. I truly believe in veterans helping veterans. The spirit of togetherness was on display when members of the veterans group last met on the national level at the 72nd Biennial Convention in Chicago last summer. Veterans group members held a Ruck March fundraising event on the shore of Lake Michigan, raising $26,244 in donations to aid homeless veterans in the Chicago area and to help empower other veterans to take control of their transition to civilian living. NEOC matched that amount, bringing the total donation to $52,488. Membership in the Veterans Group is open to any NELC member or auxiliary member with past or current military service. Again, membership is not automatic. NELC does not have a record of every member who is a veteran. There are several ways to join. You can fill out and mail the form in the postal record and mail it to NELC Veterans Group, National Association of Letter Carriers, 100 Indiana Avenue Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20001-2144. You also can download the application or join by email by going to nelc.org slash veterans. Upon joining the veterans group, members receive a lapel pin as a symbol of gratitude for their military service and the membership in NELC. They also receive the NELC Veterans Guide, a handbook full of valuable information for active and retired carriers who are veterans or are currently serving in a reserve component of the armed forces or in the National Guard. Veterans Group members also can purchase exclusive merchandise from the NLC store. The proceeds allow us to do Veterans Group projects at national conventions. To shop, go to nlc.org store. All products are union-made in the United States. The Veterans Group has compiled useful information for members and keeps up with the latest news related to veterans. Full information is available in the NLC Veterans Guide. Topics include veterans' preference in federal and postal hiring, retirement credit for military service, known as military buyback, credit for military service allows letter carriers and other federal employees who are veterans to receive credit for their military service time to be added to their years of civil service with the government increasing their retirement annuity. The Uniformed Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act, USERA, this law protects the job rights of individuals who voluntarily or involuntarily leave employment positions to undertake military service. USERA prohibits employers from discriminating against past and present members of the uniformed services, military and wounded warriors leave, medical and mental health rights and resources, dual coverage for workers' compensation under the Office of Workers' Compensation Programs and Department of Veterans Affairs. The Veterans Group website, NELC.org slash veterans includes news reports on pending legislation and other important topics. The NELC Veterans Guide can be downloaded from the site. To recognize the veterans in our ranks who have joined the NELC Veterans Group, the names of the members as of October 17th are listed in this special veterans issue. This is Sarah Thomas reading Executive Vice President Paul Barner's column titled Arbitration, the Final Step of the Grievance Process. References to arbitration are recorded from ancient Greece, Rome, India, and Imperial China. In early modern Europe, arbitrators offered their services at trade fairs where traveling merchants turned to them for neutral dispute settlement, which was a service they did not trust local courts to provide. One of the first disputes to be arbitrated in the United States was submitted to the American Arbitration Tribunal, organized in 1786 by the Chamber of Commerce of New York, and it resolved the wages of seamen. Since then, arbitration has become an integral part of resolving a myriad of disputes in the United States. 
The authority and decisions of arbitrators have been challenged on numerous occasions and have been repeatedly supported by district courts and even the Supreme Court. For letter carriers, final and binding arbitration has been the final step of our grievance procedure since our first collective bargaining agreement in 1970. Article 15.4.A.6 of the National Agreement states, in relevant part, all decisions of an arbitrator will be final and binding. Arbitration will never be perfect, but we must make it work. The NALC consistently strives to make our arbitration system work better for letter carriers. As we have always preached, it starts at the local level by building grievances at informal step A and formal step A that will withstand the fire of arbitration. Arbitrators do not rule on conjecture and suggestions. Instead, they base their decisions on evidence and facts that are submitted through the joint grievance file. As a former step B representative, I always reviewed grievances by asking myself if this file could stand up in arbitration. If I answered that question with a no, then I would do my best to get a negotiated settlement. National business agents, NBAs, and regional administrative assistants, RAAs, also must answer that question when they decide to appeal a case to arbitration or when they are considering making a pre-arbitration settlement. It is never an easy decision, but the NBAs understand the strengths and weaknesses of a grievance file, and they also know the tendencies of their arbitrators on a particular subject. Another way that we make sure our arbitration system works for letter carriers is by ensuring that our arbitration advocates are thoroughly trained and equipped with the tools they need to be successful. I would like to take this time to thank all our arbitration advocates for their heroic efforts. Like that of most union activists, their work is very difficult and for the most part, thankless. Success in arbitration results from the hard work and dedication of all those who participated in building and presenting the case. As a union, we should always agree that a win for one is a win for all, and credit should be shared. Our recent success rates at arbitration are indicative of the hard work and commitment at every level of our union. Recently, NALC added a new staffing component to the arbitration process in our ongoing efforts to provide excellent representation for our members by adding three full-time advocates, Stephanie Bayongo out of California, John Calloway out of Illinois, and Michael Murray out of Massachusetts. These advocates are tasked with tackling complex issues at arbitration. They also are assigned to assist the regions in covering other arbitrations when the needs arise. Their duties include training and assisting newly trained advocates. The full-time advocates also are used for some regional trainings. They are doing great work and they are having a positive impact. Regional arbitration numbers. Currently, we have 3,569 cases pending regional arbitration. Of those, 2,764 have not been scheduled as of October 2023. These numbers are staggering and trending in the wrong direction, but they are driven by problems that are oftentimes out of our control. Our grievance procedure is designed to resolve issues at the lowest possible level, but it requires that both parties bargain in good faith. Too often, management's representatives at every level of the grievance procedure can't or won't bargain in good faith. The union used to settle countless grievances with cease and desist language because the NALC simply wants management to agree to stop the violation. However, as of late, management refuses to entertain a settlement with cease and desist language out of fear of creating a monetary remedy in the future. Because of these facts, the union is forced to go forward with binding arbitration on grievances that could oftentimes be resolved with a simple cease and desist agreement. 
Regardless of the backlog and the reasons for it, the NALC's resolve to police our agreements and protect the rights of letter carriers will not wane. This is Sarah Thomas reading Vice President James D. Henry's column titled, Together We Will Achieve Greatly. Brothers and sisters, as you know, the NALC is currently in the midst of negotiating a new collective bargaining agreement with the USPS and has been doing so for months. The primary goal is to achieve an economic pay package and working conditions that are commensurate with the sacrifices and degree of devotion that city letter carriers have consistently exhibited. Letter carriers have not only delivered without fail through snow nor rain repeatedly over the last several years, but also through an inordinate amount of severe weather phenomena, fires, and even a pandemic. As such, letter carriers richly deserve to be rewarded with a national contract reflective of their hard work and commitment. The labor management climate that exists in multiple industries throughout the country is less than desirable. The current USPS labor management climate is no exception. All too often, there are others giving reasons why we cannot do something, leading people to retreat to the safety of a cautious and familiar mindset and not helping us achieve all we can. However, the good news is that the NALC is on the job representing you. We won't stop, can't stop, until letter carriers are compensated appropriately for all they do and have work rules consistent with cultivating a harmonious work environment. Those responsible for negotiating the national agreement are absolutely committed to a success, come what may, and will persevere until we find a way to prevail. As I travel the country and speak at NALC branch events, I often reference my time as a Marine, which I am blessed to have served as and retired as. During my time in the United States Marine Corps, I traveled the world and witnessed firsthand that despite our differences here in the United States, there is no place better to live. Because of our fundamental beliefs, by and large, we have an envied way of life. There is opportunity when people commit to working hard. Similarly, my current position as an NALC representative has afforded me the opportunity to travel and interact with different unions and the crafts they represent. Despite our differences in the USPS, there's hardly a place better to work. Being a letter carrier is one of the last middle-class jobs that requires no formal schooling or prior work experience. We have the ability to put food on our tables, clothes on our back, and a roof over our heads and achieve stability due to the achievements gained by the NALC through collective bargaining. John F. Kennedy once stated, only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. We've arrived at a moment in time where we as a union must and will achieve greatly. Our livelihood depends on it. Our membership and craft expects no less. I have the utmost confidence that the NALC will accomplish the mission of delivering a contract that letter carriers will be proud of and are worthy of, just like letter carriers have consistently and without fail delivered for America. Why am I so confident? Because the NALC has a history of not failing letter carriers, and we believe always that failure is not an option. In closing, I would like to say thank you for your service and happy Veterans Day to all my fellow veterans. Hi, this is Nicole Ryan, National Secretary-Treasurer. This is my article on important reminders. Open season for choosing a health benefit plan is November 13th to December 11th, and I encourage all NELC members to consider enrolling in the NELC health benefit plan, the NELC's own union-run health benefit plan. NELC health benefit representatives and branch officers are reminded that any USPS employee regardless of bargaining or non-bargaining status, 
must be a full dues-paying member of the NELC when enrolled in the NELC health benefit plan. Please note that a common misunderstanding is that a postal employee must already be a member of NELC in order to choose the NELC health benefit plan during open season, but that is not the case. Any postal employee can select the NELC health benefit plan during open season. However, they must join the NELC in order to maintain their insurance through the NELC health benefit plan. Under Article 22 of the NELC Constitution, a health benefit plan membership, often referred to as an associate membership, applies only to postal retirees who did not maintain their membership in the NELC upon retirement and to all non-postal federal employees. These enrollees of the NELC health benefit plan pay yearly dues of $36, which are billed directly from headquarters in the early part of the year. Branch mergers. Any branch proposing to merge should review Article 2, Section 3 of the NELC Constitution, which sets forth the requirements for effecting a merger of branches. Requests for mergers received at NELC headquarters are often missing two requirements from both branches wishing to merge. One, a resolution and two, a statement of reason or reasons for merging. To avoid having a request for a merger returned, please ensure that your branch includes all the necessary documentation. More information can be found on the Secretary Treasurer's page on the NELC website at NELC.org. The Secretary Treasurer's page is under the Union Administration tab. Dues rosters, retiree lists, and membership rosters. Branch presidents, secretaries, and treasurers as well as state presidents, secretaries, and treasurers have their branch biweekly dues rosters, quarterly branch retiree dues rosters, and monthly state dues rosters available to them through the members-only portal. The rosters can be sorted, downloaded, saved, and printed. Branch secretaries are reminded to review the biweekly roster and ensure that all dues being deducted are correct. If a change needs to be made, please notify the membership department in writing. In addition, Members called to active military duty may have their dues suspended upon written request by the branch secretary. When the member returns from active duty military, please notify the membership department so dues deductions may be resumed. Also available to branch presidents, secretaries, and treasurers is a retired member listing for their branch. The list includes all current retired members of the branch and notes which of the retired members are gold card members. Any member showing on the list as pending 1189 notes that NELC headquarters has not yet received a form 1189 from the member. And finally, branch presidents and secretaries also have the ability to generate a membership roster or an election roster from the members only portal. The rosters can be sorted, downloaded, saved, and printed. Change of officers. Branches and state associations are asked to notify the Office of the Secretary-Treasurer in writing as soon as possible after a change of officers. This can be done via a letter or, for branches, by filling out a branch information record card. New officers will not begin to receive their mail from headquarters until NELC is notified of their names, titles, and addresses. NELC's membership database stores the names of branch and state presidents, secretaries, and treasurers and the information in the database is used for mailings and for access to dues roster information on the members-only portal, as well as to the other membership-related programs I talked about earlier. National Conventions. As a reminder, the 73rd Biennial Convention is scheduled for August 5th through the 9th, 2024, in Boston, 
and the 74th Biennial Convention is scheduled for August 3rd through the 7th, 2026 in Los Angeles. Veterans Day. Although I am not a veteran, I am profoundly honored that so many of our members are and that I get the opportunity to represent our veterans as a national officer. Let's all be sure to thank those who serve or have served in our military for the sacrifices they and their families have made for this great country. Hello, I am Mac I. Julian, your Assistant Secretary Treasurer. I will be reading my November officers column entitled The Dark Side. I want to start this article by first acknowledging the members of the NALC who at one time in their life served our country in the armed forces. These men and women volunteered to defend the very democracy that far too many of us take for granted. Whether or not they served during combat, the very freedom that we enjoy every day comes at a price. So again, I express my appreciation for your service. Thank you and happy Veterans Day. Now, on another note, I recently received a phone call from a member of my branch who wanted me to know that two of my former stewards have now crossed the line and gone into management. They wanted to know what my reaction was to these traitors who are now on the dark side. I admit that I didn't see these coming, but I was more disappointed than shocked. One of them I had appointed to formal A. The other was someone for whose work I had sincere appreciation and whom I thought had a real commitment to her members. While I totally understand the feelings of betrayal that the caller and probably other members may have, I guess over time that I'm no longer taken aback by anger and resentment when these things happen. I'm just not totally surprised when someone makes that life choice and decides to go into postal management. Years ago, when I was a region administrative assistant in Region 3, I can recall how I reacted when I heard that someone at the headquarters level had left the NALC to work for the Postal Service Management. I felt so personally offended and bitter because I had such respect for this person. We would talk regularly about how dirty and deceitful our counterparts were at the Postal Service, and now they were on the other side. I vowed that I would never speak to her again. But over the years, I have seen it play out at so many levels, from co-workers in my station to branch presidents, officers and stewards, even leadership academy graduates and delegates. These were all people I had a working relationship with at some point representing the members of our great union. At times, I still question their moral compass, but it no longer works me into a frenzy where I harbor ill will like I did in the past. Realize, I say this as someone who has a reputation for being notoriously anti-management. In fact, over the years, I've had more than a few counterparts in management confide in me the disdain with which their comrades speak of me in meetings or casual conversations. In my tenure as branch president, they try to bar me from offices by calling the police, postal, and city. I had even been arrested for attempting to represent members in a unit in which I was not welcomed by management. During one arbitration hearing, when we were removing a manager for the violation of the joint statement of violence, the Postal Service advocate told the arbitrator that I was simply being vindictive because of my hatred for postal management and that I had a hit list of managers and supervisors that I was seeking to bring down. This was not altogether true. I did not hate 
management. But I do have a strong contempt for mismanagement and those who mistreat our fellow letter carriers and co-workers. And sadly, there are far too many of them. I believe as letter carriers and postal employees that we are blessed to be able to serve our country and customers by working for the most respected agency in the federal government. It's just unfortunate that this storied institution is plagued with bad management at every level. One would hope those who have worked with us or had the privilege of representing our members would not forget where they came from or how hard we work as city letter carriers. I'm told that some go into management because they no longer have the physical ability to do the job. Still, too many do so because they lack the work ethic and the mental capacity to be a city letter carrier. Whatever the reason, I'm not judging. I just remind them all the time. If you create a hostile work environment by bullying, harassing, or intimidating our members, you will face the full wrath of the NALC and we will seek to remove you from your position, no matter who you are. With that, I wish all a happy and blessed Thanksgiving. Hello, this is Stephen Stewart, Assistant to the President for City Delivery, and I will be reading Director of City Delivery, Christopher Jackson's November 2023 Postal Record article titled MDDTR Translator and more updates. In recent weeks, City Delivery has received numerous questions on new initiatives and pilot tests conducted by the Postal Service. I think it's important to share some more information on these topics in this month's article for the Postal Record. Translator application. In September, the Postal Service sent notification that a pilot test will be conducted on the mobile delivery device Technical Refresh, MDDTR using language translator applications. Testing began at the Falls Church, Virginia Carrier Annex with four route assignments on September 25th. My staff visited the Falls Church facility to observe the test. The carriers my staff talked to reported that the application allows them to translate languages using an internal microphone, through text using the device's keyboard, and through pictures using the device's camera. They also reported that it is very similar to other translator applications available on cell phones. Additionally, NALC found that the translator applications are not active on the scanners that carriers are using for their delivery duties. Instead, carriers involved with the pilot are given a second scanner to use for translating languages at their discretion. Carriers explain that they have not been instructed to keep the second scanner on them, nor have they been mandated to use them. Informed Facility Recently, I became aware that USPS has been displaying carrier performance information on television monitors at some delivery locations across the country. The monitors list the status of route assignments by detailing what percentage of the route is completed, the total number of packages delivered, and whether delivery of the assignment is, quote, early or late throughout the day. Furthermore, the monitors feature a geo-return-to-end-tool report showing the difference between the amount of time it takes a carrier to break the unit's geofence when returning from the street and the time the carrier ends their tour for the day. I am in communication with the Postal Service regarding concerns about the information posted on the monitors and its impact on letter carriers. If management is displaying your work performance information on TV monitors, request to see your steward and ask that a grievance be filed. Managing Arrow Lock Key Accountability, or MAL. In my October column, 
I informed the membership of a new process for managing arrow slash modified arrow lock key accountability introduced by the Postal Service. In this process, Mobile Delivery Device Technical Refresh, or MDDTR, and Mobile Delivery Device In-Office, or MDDIO, scanners are used to transfer arrow key accountability by scanning employee identification badge and arrow key barcodes. In this new process, a carrier can check out or receive a key without a signature, return a key without an accountable clerk or supervisor present, and transfer accountability for an arrow key to another carrier by following the arrow key management workflow on the MDDTR. Implementation of this accountability process is in conflict with the provisions of postal handbooks and manuals and does not change the letter carrier's responsibility when handling arrow keys as outlined in sections 261 and 43 of Handbook M41, City Carrier Duties and Responsibilities. A carrier's responsibility when receiving arrow keys outlined in section 261 of Handbook M41 states 261.2 Receipting for accountable items. 261.21. Keys. A numbered check is issued to each employee. When you surrender the check, you will be given a set of arrow and or padlock and or truck keys. In some instances, a signature is used in place of a numbered check. The keys are on a chain which must be securely fastened to a belt or clothing. Keys must be returned at the end of the tour of duty. Emphasis added. Section 43 of Handbook M41 details the procedure for a carrier to gain clearance for accountable items. 43. Clearance for accountable items. 431. Keys. Turn in mail keys in exchange for a signed key check or signature clearance. Emphasis added. I have requested a meeting with the Postal Service to discuss the process and the steps that are in conflict with postal handbooks and manuals. As of the writing of this article, the meeting has not taken place. I will continue to work toward a resolution for these issues. I encourage any member who receives instructions related to this process that violates the language above of the M41 to inform your local union representative and file a grievance. Additionally, USPS has provided guidance under this process advising the use of PS Form 1106 to clear carriers of arrow key accountability. PS Form 1106 has been rescinded by the Postal Service since March 23, 2023. The use of this form should be brought to the attention of local union representatives to investigate. Finally, I want to thank the carriers and the Falls Church Post Office for their time and helpful insight into their experience with the translator application on the MDDTR. I will update the membership on these subjects once we have an opportunity to meet with the Postal Service and discuss all available information. Hi, this is Manny Peralta, your Director of Safety and Health. My column this month is on management's responsibility to protect you from harm. Recently, I attended the Southwest Michigan Branch 246 Retiree Banquet in Kalamazoo, where there was a great turnout with a number of carriers enjoying a long retirement. Two of our attendees are happy to have been retired for more than 30 years. These events are precious. So many of our carriers have worn themselves out, bringing our nation's residents their mail. But it was a pleasure to see so many retirees just enjoying each other's company and reliving their stories. While at this event, I was given a hard copy of an email 
from a carrier who retired in 2016 after a 36-year career. He had been reading of the assaults against carriers and wanted to share what he had survived more than 30 years earlier. Speaking to someone who was attacked and damn near killed by his assailant while delivering my route in the early 80s, I am horrified to hear of the now frequent attacks on letter carriers by hoodlums seeking to steal the arrow key. Each time I hear of such an incident, I have to suppress the PTSD that still haunts me from my own attacks so many years ago. However, it's important to note that my primary trauma does not arise from the attack itself, but rather the near total disregard given to me by the USPS officials. Mind you, if I had not grabbed hold of the handle of the pick hammer as the assailant was swinging it down at my skull as he pinned me on the porch of a customer, I would have died. The police arrived and asked if I wanted to press charges, and the only reason I did was to protect and defend the integrity and sanctity of the postal uniform I was wearing. I knew I wouldn't stay on that route forever, but someone was always going to be delivering to that neighborhood, and I felt it imperative that a strong public example be made of my attacker, so that the word on the street was clear. Letter carriers are not to be attacked, and their safety is paramount. The above event ended in disappointment because management and the inspection service did not take all necessary steps. The prosecution and the result was less than adequate. When you alert your managers to a situation in which you believe someone on your route is up to no good, management should take appropriate action. Are they answering your text messages or your phone calls? Are they coming out to check on you? Or are they doing nothing to protect you? If they are not taking all steps possible to protect you, turn in 1767 and file grievances if necessary. It is their job to protect you from harm. Part of the problem is that management is more focused on keeping an eye on the physical property of the USPS. Instead, they should be keeping an eye on the human beings that are employed by the USPS. On May 10th of 2023, NALC Executive Vice President Paul Barner issued a statement addressing the increased crime against letter carriers. In part, his comments observed that, while we will continue to engage with the Postal Service and relevant law enforcement agencies to develop measures that will enhance the safety of letter carriers, the fear and the danger that letter carriers are confronting has to end NALC has no higher priority than their safety. And we will demand real immediate solutions to make sure employees are safe from the moment we enter the trucks in the morning to the time we leave the station at the end of the shift. On December the 9th of 2022, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, letter carrier Andre Cross lost his life over an arrow key. The NALC recently presented a memorial plaque to his family Keep your guard up and keep an eye on each other. Thank you. Hi, my name is Daniel Toth. I am the Director of Retired Members. Today, I'll be reading you my postal record article from November 2023 titled, Surprise, Surprise, Another Attack on Our Pension. 
Our retirement benefits are always under attack, even when a political party doesn't control Congress. It is scheming to cut the hard-earned benefits of federal employees. This go-round is no different as, again, we face a drastic and draconian proposal to strip benefits, not just for future federal employees, but for all current and retired federal employees. The Republican Study Committee, RSC, which released its 2024 budget proposal, describes itself as follows. The Republican Study Committee has served as the conservative caucus of House Republicans and a leading influencer on the right since its original founding in 1973. It exists to bring like-minded House members together to promote a strong principle legislative agenda that will limit government, strengthen our national defense, boost America's economy, preserve traditional values, and balance our budget. Led by Chairman Kevin Hearn, Republican, Oklahoma, the RSC budget proposal details multiple modifications to the Federal Employees Retirement System, FERS, and the Civil Service Retirement System, CSRS. First and foremost, the proposal calls for eliminating the FERS basic benefit for all new employees. In other words, new employees can pound sand. It also calls for a change from the high three average salary for calculating retirement benefits. This proposal, which we saw multiple times from the Trump administration, would change the high three average salary to a high five average salary. This would decrease annuities as the formal would include additional years of lower earnings, therefore lowering the average. Employees would pay more towards their first benefits under the proposal. The proposal doesn't go into the details of how much more, but we can start to put the pieces together when it later states, this proposal would equalize the treatment for all federal workers. Employees hired prior to 2013 pay 0.8% of their basic pay towards their first pension. Employees hired in 2013 pay 3.1%, and those hired after 2013 pay 4.4%. If the RSC intends to raise any employee contributions and make it equal for everyone, we know that contributions will be increased to a minimum of 4.4% for everyone. It's left to the reader to hope the employee contributions won't go even higher. Various other attacks in the proposal are not new. The budget proposal also calls for reducing or eliminating the cost of living adjustments, COLAs, for FERS and CSRS, eliminating the special annuity supplement, and reforming the interest rate provided by the G Fund, Government Securities Investment Fund, in the Thrift Savings Plan. These are all serious cuts, but let's recognize the devastation to retirees if we lose COLAs. A quick glance in the rearview mirror should remind us of the huge inflation numbers and increase in the cost of goods and services during the pandemic. Although inflation has slowed back down, the cost of goods remain inflated. If not for COLAs, the purchasing power of our pensions would have been drastically reduced. And that is just the last few years. Now imagine inflation, year over year, for decades. Pensions will dwindle away and retirees will be forced to get by with less. All while health care costs in the United States continue to spiral out of control. What kind of dignity will retired federal employees have if they are forced out of their homes or can't receive necessary medical care to stay healthy and active?
What is the intent of the Republican Study Committee with all these cuts to federal workers? The proposal has an explanation. It is to ensure solvency for federal pensions and save taxpayers more than $235 billion over 10 years. Does the RSC understand that federal employees have paid taxes their entire careers? Do they understand that the Postal Service doesn't receive taxpayer money and instead is funded through earned revenue from postage sales? Does the RSC realize that the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund, CSRDF, the fund for CSRS and FERS, had more than $1 trillion by the close of 2022 and is projected to have more than $12 trillion by 2095? Where is the solvency problem? Why are they meddling? We must remember that our status as federal employees with federal benefits is not as simple as many others. We have 535 bosses on Capitol Hill, and many of them always want to cut our benefits. That is why it is so important for us to stay engaged and active on all fronts. And whether or not we like politics, these are the people who write the rules of the game. We must ensure that the rules are written to give the working class a fair chance at success and retirement with dignity. Hello, I'm Stephanie Stewart, your Director of Health Benefits. And for my November officers column, I would like to discuss the plan built by letter carriers and run by letter carriers. Open season for the 2024 benefit year will officially begin on November 13th and run through December 11th. From your health and wellness to your financial situation, this is the time of year to consider what is best for you and your family. For some, it's all about premium costs. For others, the choice is entirely based on the benefits included within the health insurance plan. Should you pay more for a monthly premium and have a richer benefit? Or should you pay the least amount possible and worry when sickness arrives at the door? Understandably, it can be an overwhelming task and sometimes the answers seem complex. We'll look no further as I will try to simplify the matter. Here at the NALC Health Benefit Plan, we offer comprehensive benefits for all individuals, no matter which of our plans you choose, the high option plan or the consumer-driven health plan. We offer both plans at a very competitive rate and it's very important to mention that we continue to become better each year as we make your health our priority. If you have not recently looked at the NELC Health Benefit Plan's benefits and premiums, you should take the time this year, consider the switch, and take action. The NELC Health Benefit Plan is the only plan that works for you and keeps the unique needs of letter carriers at the forefront when establishing benefits each year. As an example, I would like to tell you about two specific items we incorporated into our 2024 benefits with you in mind. Custom functional foot orthotics. As a letter carrier, I know that many of you walk miles and miles and I fully understand the need for good support. The days can be excruciating as your feet, back, or knees ache with each step you take. I also know that walking without proper support can have a negative long-term effect on your health. Beginning in 2024, we have increased our custom functional foot orthotic benefit. Letter carriers will be able to receive two pairs of orthotics each year without a maximum plan payment amount. Now, let's talk about the sun. As letter carriers, we spend most of our days exposed to intense sunlight, which we all know has risks. As a result, new for 2024, we will cover annual skin cancer screenings. 
These preventative measures help to detect skin disorders before they become cancerous and can also be a tool in preventing skin cancer from spreading to other areas of the body. I talk about the above highlights because I want you to understand when you choose the NELC Health Benefit Plan, you're not just choosing a health insurance plan. You are choosing to extend your union family. Our plan is the only plan that has letter carriers working on your behalf. So I have to ask, do you want a seat at the table or do you want a CEO determining what you might need in healthcare? Something we often say is a health benefit plan built by letter carriers and run by letter carriers. From the addition of wellness programs, infertility services, gender affirmation, a Medicare Part B reimbursement for all of our eligible members, and more, our benefits speak for themselves this year. For more information about our excellent benefits, please make sure to review the special insert included in this edition of the Postal Record or call one of our knowledgeable customer service representatives at 888-636-NALC or 6252. Without a doubt, I firmly believe we are the best option for all letter carriers around the nation. Attention, Value Option Plan members. In the early part of October, you should have received a letter about the approaching changes to the Value Option Plan. Beginning on January 1st of 2024, all Value Option members will be reassigned to our consumer-driven health plan. This reassignment will allow you to continue obtaining the same high-quality health benefits and also provide you with a significant increase in your personal care account, from $100 to $1,200 for self-only, and from $200 to $2,400 for self plus one or self and family. This is an automatic change, so you don't need to take any action to enjoy this additional benefit. Those affected can continue to use the Value Option Member ID card until you receive your new CDHP Member ID card. Until next month, take care. Hi, this is Special Assistant to the President, Michelle McQuality, and I will be reading Contract Talk, found on page 81 of the November Postal Record. Overtime and pay during December. The rules governing the payment of penalty overtime are found in Article 8 of the National Agreement. The rate of pay for penalty overtime is governed by the provisions of Article 8, Section 4C, which states in pertinent part, C. Penalty overtime pay is to be paid at the rate of two times the base hourly straight time rate. While this provision applies to all letter carriers, determining when the penalty overtime rate is applicable depends on the classification of the employee. This month's contract talk will address the payment of penalty overtime and some exceptions to these rules that occur in the month of December. It will also discuss the assignment of overtime during December. The entitlement to penalty overtime for full-time regular and full-time flexible employees is found in Article 8, Section 4D of the National Agreement, which states, D. Penalty overtime pay will be paid to full-time regular employees for any overtime work in contravention of the restrictions in Section 5F. Article 8, Section 5F states, Excluding December, no full-time regular employee will be required to work overtime on more than four of the employee's five scheduled days in a service week, or work over 10 hours on a regularly scheduled day, over eight hours on a non-scheduled day, or over six days in a service week. 
The explanation for this section is found on page 8-17 of the 2022 Joint Contract Administration Manual, JCAM, which states, Article 8.5F applies to both full-time regular and full-time flexible employees. The only two exceptions to the work hour limits provided for in this section are for all full-time employees during the penalty overtime exclusion period, December, and for full-time employees on the ODL during any month of the year, Article 8.5G. Both work and paid leave hours are considered work for the purposes of the administration of Article 8.5F and 8.5G. The rules governing how part-time flexible, PTF, and City Carrier Assistant, CCA, letter carriers receive penalty overtime pay, are found in Article 8, Section 4E, which states, E. Excluding December, part-time flexible employees will receive penalty overtime pay for all work in excess of 10 hours in a service day or 56 hours in a service week. The preceding paragraph, Article 84E, shall apply to city carrier assistant employees. This language requires the payment of penalty overtime to PTF and CCA letter carriers for all work in excess of 10 hours in a service day or 56 hours in a service week. Part-time regulars are in the same category as part-time flexibles for penalty overtime purposes. When determining the entitlement to penalty overtime pay, both the actual hours worked and any paid leave hours are counted. This is explained on page 8-3 of the 2022 JCAM, which states, All bargaining unit employees are paid postal overtime for time spent in a pay status in excess of 8 hours in a service day and or in excess of 40 hours in a service week. Hours in pay status include hours of actual work and hours of paid leave. The first exception to these rules, which affects full-time, part-time, and CCA letter carriers, involves the payment of penalty overtime during the month of December. In accordance with Article 8, Section 4C, penalty overtime will not be paid for any hours worked in December. This is commonly referred to as the penalty overtime exclusion period. Although Article 8, Sections 4 and 5 identify the month of December, in 1985, the national parties agreed that the month of December referenced in these sections is understood to mean four consecutive service weeks rather than the entire month, M1508 in NALC's materials reference system. The specific period is published each year in the Postal Bulletin and the Postal Record. The penalty overtime exclusion period for calendar year 2023 will begin pay period 26-23, week 1, December 2nd, and end pay period 01-2024, week 2, December 29th. The second exception during December pertains to the daily and weekly work hour limitations. Article 8, Section 5G provides that full-time employees on the Overtime Desired List, ODL, or Work Assignment List, WAL, may be required to work up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. However, these work limits do not apply to ODL and WAL letter carriers during the penalty overtime exclusion period. Management may, but is not required to, assign ODL carriers to work in excess of the 12 and 60 hour limitations during the penalty overtime exclusionary period. The maximum hours allowed for PTFs, CCAs, and full-time employees not on the ODL or WAL are not governed by the provisions of Article 8, Section 5G. 
The rules determining the maximum number of work hours for these letter carriers are found in Section 432.32 of the Employee and Labor Relations Manual, ELM, which states, except as designated in labor agreements for bargaining unit employees or in emergency situations as determined by the Postmaster General or designee, employees may not be required to work more than 12 hours in a service day. In addition, the total hours of daily service, including scheduled work hours, overtime, and mealtime, may not be extended over a period longer than 12 consecutive hours. Postmasters and exempt employees are excluded from these provisions. The Step 4 Settlement, M1272, in Case Number E94N4EC9606140, dated February 25, 1998, clarifies that the 12-hour limit established by ELM 432.32 continues to apply even during the penalty overtime exclusion period. Similar to the previous reference that paid leave counts toward overtime, the 2022 JCAM on page 8-19 explains that the 12- and 60-hour limitations are inclusive of all hours, including any type of leave taken. The third exception during December pertains to letter carriers on the WAL. As stated above, excluding December, WAL carriers are available to work up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. Outside of the penalty overtime exclusion period, management has the right to assign an employee on the ODL to work regular overtime to avoid paying penalty overtime to a carrier on the WAL. This can limit a carrier on the WAL to 10 hours in a service day, even if additional overtime was available on their bid assignment. This is explained on page 8-21 of the 2022 JCAM, which states, Management may assign an employee from the regular ODL to work regular overtime to avoid paying penalty pay to a carrier who has signed for work assignment overtime. This exception does not apply during the penalty overtime exclusion period, December when penalty overtime is not paid. During the penalty overtime exclusion period, the carrier on the WAL has the right to work the additional time over 10 hours since penalty overtime is not paid. Keep in mind, this exception applies only when management wants to assign a carrier from ODL to work the overtime. Management still retains the right to utilize a letter carrier at the straight time rate or a PTF or CCA at the straight time or overtime rate prior to assigning additional overtime to a carrier on the WAL. The explanation for this provision is found on pages 8-20 and 8-21 of the 22 JCAM, which states, Management may always assign another carrier to perform the work at the straight time rate rather than assigning overtime to a carrier on the work assignment list. Management may also assign PTFs and CCAs at the straight time or overtime rate up to the ELM limitations. If you have any questions related to these or other Article 8 provisions, contact your local shop steward or branch officer. Complete copies of the M documents referenced in this article and the 2022 JCAM are available on the NALC website at NALC.org. On page 83 is the MDA report. Get your action plan ready. For more than 70 years, MDA has led the way as the number one voluntary health organization in the United States for people living with neuromuscular diseases. 
During those years, the NALC has embraced the Muscular Dystrophy Association, MDA, as its only official charity and has stood with it to raise money to help deliver the cure. NELC and MDA families know firsthand how diseases like muscular dystrophy and ALS severely limit physical strength and mobility. These diseases take away everyday freedoms such as walking, playing, hugging, running, talking, and even breathing. NELC's support has contributed to significant progress in the fight to end muscular dystrophy. This year, our collective strength will help accelerate treatments, care, and support for MDA families. MDA is making a huge effort to reach out to as many NELC branches as possible, so you or your fellow branch members might hear from an MDA employee or volunteer checking in to say hello and thank you. They're making sure that you have the support you need for the rest of your upcoming campaigns. Please be sure to take a few minutes to connect with them and let them know what you need. However, if you don't get a call or have already gotten a call but need something, feel free to contact me or MDA directly. The more our branches are connected with MDA, the better we can deliver the cure. From large branches to small, below is a list of easy ways to raise money for MDA. Raffles, car washes, yard sales, shamrocks, satchel drives, Texas Hold'em tournaments, follow state laws, local credit union partnerships, bowling tournaments, pool and dart tournaments, comedy karaoke nights, charity golf tournaments, cornhole and beanbag tournaments, bake sales, bingo nights, branch member donation drives, Pancake breakfasts or spaghetti dinners, muscle walks, 5K Tough Mudders, trivia tournaments. Once you've figured out what you want to do, you need to develop an action plan that includes specific tasks, times, and assignments for each person about what needs to happen and when. The committee should periodically check the progress related to the tasks. The committee should ask itself the following questions. Are we on schedule? Are our plans still feasible? Did we leave anything out? Have things come up that we did not anticipate? How did we handle them? Does new information suggest that changes in strategy are needed? Finally, review our objectives and strategy with the aim of adjusting and improving if necessary. Depending on what the evaluation shows, celebrate your branch's accomplishments, make corrections, and keep moving forward toward the goal. Then, next year about this time, repeat the whole process over again. If we can keep moving our strategic plan along, we will help get MDA ever closer to finding a cure, and we will provide the help and hope that the MDA families need. We have a special union. We have been successful in raising money for MDA in past years because of branch leadership and coordinators. Our members, whether active or retired, feel a deep connection to those we serve every day. I can tell you that the MDA sings your praises at every opportunity. They are grateful for you, my sisters and brothers. If your branch has never been involved with MDA, perhaps it is time to start. I am here for you. All checks and offline gifts received by the branch should use the NALC donation allocation card, see nalc.org slash MDA, and mail donations to Muscular Dystrophy Association, Inc., attention NALC, P.O. Box 7410354, Chicago, Illinois 60674-0354. Also, please send copies to NALC headquarters or to me at the Region 9 MBA office. I am requesting that all branches send their MDA information and paperwork by December 28th. Thanks again for your continued hard work helping to deliver the cure. Remember, helping MDA can help you too. By supporting MDA, you enhance letter carriers' public image, boost members' morale, and draw positive attention to NALC. Again, I want to thank all those who have worked so hard to raise money for MDA. Let me end with this. Remember, you never know when it might be you or someone you love who may need help. Christina Vela. Davidson.